Welcome to Modern Aikidoist Podcast. I've noticed lately that the audio-only podcasts and BitChute platforms are getting a lot more views and listens than the YouTube channel. This is fantastic and rather unpredictable. My particular thanks to all of those who are listening through those platforms. Please help by spreading the word about this podcast. It's free and it helps out a great deal. Of course, liking and subscribing helps out a lot too. Another way you can support this podcast is by way of a PayPal tip jar. You can leave a donation of any amount you like, or set up a monthly donation just like Patreon or Subscribestar, only I don't make you pay for my content. I only invite you to contribute. There is a link in the description. I sincerely appreciate your interest and support, and offer my sincere thanks to those who have contributed. In today's episode, we will be covering kicks and how Aikido can use these tools. We don't see kicks integrated into Aikido very much, if at all, which is a shame. If we look at Aikido as an art which manipulates an attacker's body, why should we limit ourselves with how we do that? I think the answer is that we should not. I think Aikido has limited itself over time more by accident than intention. It has drifted ever so subtly into becoming hyper-focused on the use of the upper body almost exclusively, with the legs only being used for movement. It is understandable, as this kind of thing can happen when practiced in isolation. Before I get deeper into the use of the legs in Aikido, the topic today is kicking. There are other uses of the legs and feet from a martial perspective, being sweeps, hooks, and trips. Perhaps I'll cover those more in another episode, but today's discussion is going to remain focused on kicking alone. I think most Aikido practitioners have a little easier time accepting leg sweeps, hooks, and trips than the idea of striking an attacker with a leg or foot. The reason is that striking in general seems to conflict with the pacifist influence on Aikido. The idea that striking is somehow cruel or harsh is something I invite you to take a serious look at. It really isn't warranted. Striking someone can be harmful, but it doesn't have to be. Across the Aikido world, you can hear many practitioners state that striking of any kind is brutish, and they often turn their noses up at it. I've even heard Shihan make statements to that effect. It's a shallow perspective and reflects a profound lack of understanding. To me, it brings their credibility into question as well. Strikes don't need to injure or even cause pain to be effective in taking posture, cause an attacker to move or adjust, or create a safe distance between you. This may not make sense at first glance, so let me elaborate on it. When we are talking about striking, particularly with the intention of taking balance, we're talking about a temi. Here's where I need to go into a sidebar point on the concept of a temi. In particular, the definition of a temi itself. Aikido has a major problem in its language. The Japanese language is somewhat cryptic, often having confusing, vague, or multiple meanings for words. A temi is an example of this. There seem to be two prevailing definitions of the word a temi, which Aikido practitioners constantly argue about and pull the you-don't-understand-the-real-meaning card on. To avoid that, here are the two prevailing definitions of a temi. The first and simplest definition is that a temi is an unbalancing strike. That is, a strike, motion, or gesture meant to capture an attacker's physical or mental balance. Usually, the first introduction of a temi is when we deliver a punch or slap to the face to make uke pause for a moment as nage sets up a particular technique, say an ikkyo. Most of the time, this atemi is a simple punch to the face or body with a fist. Atemi doesn't need to be a strike, though. It can be a simple touch to take attention. A strong kiai or a shout, 
can also serve as an atemi. My favorite anecdote about atemi is a large man goes into his bathroom and sees a tiny lizard in his bathtub. He decides to remove the lizard and steps into the tub to pick it up so that he can take it outside. As he reaches down to pick it up, the lizard leaps onto the guy's neck. Even though the lizard is only a couple of inches long, the startled guy leaps back, trips, and falls backwards. Did the lizard throw the man? Of course not. That was a temi, the type of a temi which unbalances the mind. The second and less common definition of a temi is a striking body. This definition is not quite as clear-cut as the first, but the description of it, as I understand it, is that of a hardened body which can deliver a potent strike with any part of it. Despite the definition being a little more fuzzy than the first, I really do like this definition. It reflects a solid principle of hoplology, which is the study of human combat, that any part of the body can be used to deliver an effective strike. By effective strike, I'm not talking about knocking someone out or causing injury. In this case, the word effective can fit the same definition of a temi that I listed above. It can unbalance the mind or the body, setting up successful manipulation or control of an attacker or opponent. There's a fantastic example of this from a recent professional fight. Put aside the names and even that this was a professional fight for just a moment. What happened is an important learning lesson and a splendid description of a temi by both definitions that I just spoke of. The fight was between Conor McGregor and Donald Cerrone, and I think I'm pronouncing his name correctly there. I mention these names so that you can look up their fight if you want to see what I'm about to describe. The two fighters clinched up in the first minute or so of the fight. A clinch is usually considered a fairly safe position from a striking perspective. The two fighters were chest to chest with their heads beside each other. After a few seconds in this position, McGregor very quickly threw a few strikes with the top of his shoulder into Cerrone's chin. This shocked and unbalanced him and created the opening McGregor took advantage of, where he finished the fight in seconds with a rapid series of punches. After the fight, Cerrone, who was a highly skilled and experienced fighter, admitted the shoulder blows caught him completely by surprise and took his initiative away. They didn't knock him out or end the fight on their own, but the surprise attack was extremely effective. It was the mental unbalancing that happened, which led to his being quickly overwhelmed. Never underestimate the power of surprise, and that anyone, even an experienced professional fighter, can be surprised. As a side point, striking with the shoulder is nothing new to fighting. It's just something which is rarely used in sport fighting these days. It is not illegal under the rules the two were fighting under, but clearly Cerrone did not adequately train to deal with it and was caught totally by surprise. This is a lesson about the dangers of narrowing your training too much. Anyway, back to the topic of Atemi. I really wish Aikido could sort out the different definitions to the same word problem, because it's just another thing for practitioners to bicker about. Both definitions I described above are good ones and convey valid concepts. The best solution is that there are two separate terms, each used to represent the two definitions. Unfortunately, the Japanese language just doesn't work like that, and that's too bad. As long as the vocabulary is limited and other terms are not adopted to better describe the different concepts, we are stuck in the confusion zone. Hopefully by knowing these two definitions, you are more clear on the concepts themselves. Both are valuable to understand. Back to the topic of kicks. Using the foot or leg to kick is an expression of the striking body concept. 
The idea that a kick is only meant to cause damage and pain fails to reflect the myriad uses that kicks have. You can use any part of your body to nudge, shift, bump, or impact someone to take their mind, as McGregor did, or to alter the posture and balance of your attacker. Even in this description, I've not covered everything that kicks can do to influence and manipulate an attacker. Consider this application of a kick. The kick I'm talking about here is a favorite of mine, but you may not be familiar with it. It is from classical savat, and it's called the coup de pas bas. Pardon my poor pronunciation, I don't speak French. If there was a candidate for the most useful and practical kick out there, this would be it. The kick itself is a short and fast kick to the shin. Even with just a little bit of practice, it strikes like lightning, really fast. It's much faster than another great kick, the Muay Thai thigh kick. The shin kick strikes below the knee, which means there's no chance that it can be grabbed. This kick is very difficult to counter and nearly impossible if you aren't looking specifically for it. It also hurts like hell as the shins are quite sensitive. Unless you are a Muay Thai fighter, that is. Muay Thai fighters condition their shins to kill the nerves, and the result is they don't feel pain from impact to the shins. Anyway, the beauty of this kick is that with a bit of practice you can strike out at a very long range. Not quite full sidekick range, but much farther away than any punch. Here's where the beauty of this kick comes in, and it doesn't even involve landing the kick. You fire that kick hard and fast when your attacker is out of range, even out of range for that kick, and show him what he's about to step into. Even though your kick didn't land, you make him think about the possibility of being kicked in the shin really hard, and you have forced him to think about what to do next. This is the essence of unbalancing the mind. He will likely realize that you will land a hard kick on him before he can get into punching range. He will be hesitant as he thinks how to proceed. He may decide that approaching you isn't worth the effort. If he does decide to continue his attack, he will have to get past that kick and close fast. This means his approach will be fully committed and start from farther out. That makes the attack easier for you to spot and adjust to, which is good for you. All this for merely displaying one quick kick, which doesn't even land. What if it did land? Maybe he stepped in deeper than we thought he was going to, and he caught a sharp kick to the shin. Unless you have conditioned shins, shin kicks hurt like hell. My favorite story about this very kick serves as an example. In my old dojo, a parent was watching class as his son learned. My instructor taught this to the kids' class because it was something that even a small child could use potentially to save them from being abducted by an adult. The kids' class was comprised of 5- to 10-year-olds. The father was so impressed with that kick, and he saw its usefulness, that he went home and taught it to his daughter, who was not quite four years old. He stood in front of her and said, Okay, honey, swing your leg back and kick Daddy in the shin. Before he could say, Do it slowly, she whipped her foot back and planted one on the shin. Despite his being almost 250 pounds, he dropped to the floor like a sack of laundry. Granted, he was taken by surprise, but how surprised would anyone be by a four-year-old? Probably most. That's another reason I love this kick so much. It's potent enough to be used by anyone, no matter what their size or how much bigger the opponent is. The more of a size disparity, the greater the chance he will take your attacker by surprise. I wanted to describe this kick first because it brings to mind what most people think about when it comes to kicks, that it causes pain. It's something that most can relate to. Hopefully we can expand upon this understanding and appreciate how a kick like this can be used without any contact to create distance and keep someone away. 
By the way, this is my favorite answer for the question of what often baffles Aikido practitioners. How do I deal with that attacker who stays out at range and does quick jabs at me then backs away? Most Aikido techniques require long, committed attacks and have few if any answers for the short, fast jabbing attacks. The shin kick is also a short, fast jabbing attack. The advantage is that it has a far greater range than a punching jab. So by responding to the fast jabbing attack with a superior range weapon, you are taking away the effectiveness of your attacker's punches. He must now decide whether to close on you or abandon his attacking altogether. Now let's go on to other kicks. Kicks which are not designed to cause pain or injury. And there are two which come to mind, although there are probably more. These two are the push kick and the swing kick. The push kick is probably the kick that Aikido practitioners can warm up to the easiest, as it is not an impact strike at all. You merely use your foot to push on a part of the attacker's body to move it. The most common targets are the hip, the thigh, the side of the knee, or the back of the knee. If an attacker is kneeling or on all fours, you can push him over with a push kick. It's really just a manipulation tool. If your opponent is standing, the push kick creates kazushi, which creates opportunity for you to enter and perform technique. In a real-life situation, a simple push kick can easily knock somebody to the ground. Why get close if you can stay a leg distance away? A push kick is a great tool for getting someone to the ground. It does require practice to get the good balance, targeting, and understanding of how to disrupt an opponent's balance. But that pretty much describes what Aikido focuses on, doesn't it? The second kick is the swing kick. I call it a swing kick because I've really not heard another name for it. It probably has one, if not several other names. When it was shown to me, it was referred to as a bando kick. Bando is a Burmese martial art, and this particular kick that I'm talking about is where you swing your leg through a target. The kick itself is designed to move whatever it hits out of the way. It doesn't impact with a snap, which is normally associated with causing pain to the target. The most common application for this kick is to swing through a leg. That leg will either be in mid-step, with the foot not on the ground yet, making it easy to swing out of its path, or if the attacker has his weight shifted onto the other leg. With his body weight mostly off one leg, the leg is vulnerable to being kicked out from underneath him. A snap kick wouldn't necessarily do this, but the swing kick would. The reason it can do this is that the human leg is fairly heavy. If you swing your leg like you would swing a sack of cement, it can move objects around. In this case, someone's leg. Although there would probably be a bit of pain due to the impact, the main goal of this kick is to disrupt posture and balance. While the opportunity for this kick to do its thing doesn't happen very often, when that time does come, it works extraordinarily well. The last kick I want to mention is the Muay Thai thigh kick. It truly is one of the most devastating and efficient kicks there is. First, the benefits. The IT band, which runs down the side of the thigh, has a point which is almost exactly at the halfway point between the hip socket and the knee. It's right along the line where the seam of your pants would be. You hit this with even a reasonably solid kick, or knee, and you can fold the leg in one shot. Even if you don't, or if you miss and hit the thigh lower, the pain is notable. It very quickly starts slowing down the ability of that leg to move. Limiting an attacker's mobility is a very good thing. Even if you only land this once and decide to run for it, your attacker's ability to pursue you is seriously hampered. Every step he takes will be painful and can drastically increase your odds of getting away safely. The thigh kick is not without its risks, but I think it's worth mentioning the two different environments it's used in. 
Those are sport fighting and real violence. The kick is the same, but the level of risk changes dramatically depending on which environment you are in. When you're dealing with a trained fighter, you must appreciate the risk of him being experienced enough to notice the kick and trained enough to counter it. The two main counters are to step away from it, which is actually good for you. You want your attacker to step away from you. The second counter poses a danger, and that is where the target raises his knee and turns his hip out so that your shin hits the strong bone of your upper shin. Anderson Silva, an extremely talented MMA fighter, tried this kick and his opponent did this counter. Silva's shin broke in a dramatic fashion. It's hard to watch that footage without cringing. The odds that you're going to encounter a street thug with the training and responses to do that are pretty slim. In a real-world situation, you may very likely be starting from a closer distance than professional fighters do. This is a remarkable advantage to the thigh kick. It virtually ensures that the knee counter is not going to happen. That counter needs space to work. The beauty of the thigh kick is that it can be done even close up. Granted, at that close range, you will probably use your knee to hit the thigh instead of the shin. I could go into some deeper detail about kicking, but as you can see, there is far more to the subject than the idea that kicks are meant to merely cause injuries and pain. Kicks are not just fight finishers. Yes, they can be used as that, but that's not all they are limited to. One thing to appreciate about kicks is that kicking above the hips is for sport fighting only. If your focus is on self-defense, there are two reasons to keep the kicks at thigh or lower. The first reason is you don't want your leg to get grabbed. There is no good that comes out of your leg getting grabbed by an opponent. Legs and kicks are easier to grab than you might think. Maybe you're Bruce Lee fast and can get away with a body or head kick, but unless you train to have that kind of extraordinary speed, forget it. The second reason is that standing on one foot is risky in terms of balance. Just as before, if you have extraordinary kicking ability due to countless hours of practice, you might be able to pull off higher kicks without losing your balance. There's just too much to go wrong, though. Do you practice in the shoes you always wear? Have you trained to be comfortable kicking while standing on different floor and ground surfaces? Are you sure the ground is not uneven and free of debris which could cause your balance to falter? Are your knee and hip joints warmed up to kick high the way that they would be before you practice your kicks? There is no warm-up time in a real-world violence situation. Another factor is the clothes you're wearing. Will they hinder you in doing a high kick? These are some considerations not only for kicking, but for any technique you practice. Think about the conditions and environment you might be in when you need to use them. Kicks definitely are multifaceted tools and are an inherent part of hoplology. Understanding them makes us better martial artists. Without it, there's a giant hole in our understanding. Just like punching, a martial artist who is ignorant to the applications of kicking is incomplete. We must avoid such hyper-specialization if we are to achieve our maximum potential. What do you think? Please share your ideas in the comments if you're watching this on YouTube, or go to the Facebook group Aikido the Martial Side and post a comment. The Spirit Aikido online program now has more than 90 videos in the program, with new ones added every few days. In the most recent series of videos, I continue to expand my series on the use of the cane for self-defense, as well as some useful entries against a haymaker punch from pugilism, which sets up Sayunage really well. There's a link in the description section. I invite you to check it out. I always enjoy hearing from listeners of the show, whether through comments or questions. Thank you all for sharing your interest. Enjoy your training.